Our text on this Easter Sunday morning is none other than John's telling the Gospel of John from chapter 20, that first Easter Sunday morning. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. You have heard the ancient story. It may be the oddest scripture of all, and located where it is located, it may be the oddest place to have such a curious text. Today is Easter Sunday, as you well know, and with Christians around the entire world, we gather to celebrate the event, miraculous indeed, that is the heart of Christian faith. As the Apostle Paul said, if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain, and your faith has been in vain. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Yet at the heart of this story, I just read it to you, this first encounter with the empty tomb, we find confusion upon confusion. A riddle inside an enigma wrapped in a conundrum or something like that. The tale unfolds in this way. The other disciple, presumably the one who is consistently called beloved in John's gospel, the beloved disciple reached the tomb first. It sounds as if he and Peter had had a foot race and the beloved disciple had won. So he bent down and looked in, but he didn't go into the tomb. Now, isn't that curious? He didn't go in. He saw the grave clothes, but he didn't go in. Why in the world not? When Peter called up, though, he immediately went in. You know good old impetuous Peter. Act first, think later. Impulsive Peter went in with no hesitation, and he saw the same pile of cloth there cloth for binding a body, linen wrappings for shrouding a head. He saw them, and his response seems to have been, okay. Finally, the beloved disciple steps in, and the text says he believed. Just immediately, he believed. He had been the first to arrive, had already seen the grave clothes piled on the floor of the tomb, though there was no indication when he first saw those that he believed. But now, even though Peter is standing there seemingly understanding nothing, now we are told the other disciple believed. He believed. 
For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. Say what? Did, did you hear that? Thank you for hearing it. He saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand that he must rise from the dead. And the disciples returned to their homes. He believed because they didn't yet understand. So they went home. I told you it may be the oddest scripture ever. The beloved disciple believed. But what did he believe? I said to a group of friends just this week, Uh, that all of my not-so-Orthodox theology, my tendency toward liberal interpretations of most things, comes from a strangely literal leaning toward Scripture. What I'm saying to you today, while it might sound a little odd from the outset, like a lot of things I say, comes from my commitment to Scripture, my determination to actually read the Bible very closely. That's all I'm trying to do today. He believed because they did not understand, so they turned and went home. What does that mean? It's Easter Sunday. What does that mean? All four of our gospel narratives make it clear that the disciples did not understand much. My friend Jim Veilleur, who is here this morning from Stanton, Virginia, likes to say that the disciples were knuckleheads. Every one of them, from the beginning to the end, they were just knuckleheads. They did not understand who Jesus was, what he taught, why he did what he did, where he was going, how they should follow. They just didn't get it from start to finish. And we get here to this climactic end of the story, and they still don't get it. As John tells us in black and white, for they did not yet understand. So did the disciple believe? Or what could he have believed? Could he have believed that Jesus rose from the dead? They had not believed any of Jesus' teachings about suffering and dying. They hadn't understood what kind of Messiah he was telling them he was to be. Wasn't he supposed to be the Jewish Messiah they'd all been waiting for to come and overthrow the Romans? So does it make any sense now after they have misunderstood everything from the beginning, knuckleheads as they are, does it make any sense now that he believed? He had no idea this was coming, no idea to expect this. These were the very first witnesses to resurrection, okay, not resuscitation, We could go into a long detail about that. It's one of my favorite soapboxes. But this is resurrection. The Apostle Paul would later describe the resurrection of Jesus as a unique event in the history of the world. Paul calls the resurrection of Jesus the first fruits of all who had died. No one had ever seen resurrection because Paul says it has never happened before in the history of of the world. 
So how could he have understood, how could he have believed if he had no clue what he was seeing? And even if he had seen it because they had not understood anything Jesus had taught from the beginning, how could he have believed this? The Gospel of Matthew tells us that the chief priest and some Pharisees were afraid that some of Jesus' followers might come and steal his body, propping up a story about Jesus coming back to life. Now, I suppose the beloved disciple could have believed that's why the body was gone, that some of the other disciples had taken it. But surely these two disciples would have been involved in such a plot. At the very least, wouldn't they have known about it? Either way, if there had been such a plot, they would have not gone to the tomb to begin with. And such a deception as that would not have been celebrated in the gospel as it is. So that could not explain what he believed. To be completely fair, we could assume that the beloved disciple alone understood and believed. I guess that is the traditional way to understand this. I really don't know what other preachers are saying about this text this morning. Maybe that's the traditional way. And read in that way, the gospel writer could be saying that the beloved disciple believed, even though no one else had yet comprehended what was happening. He believed they did not. I just find this a very odd and a very not clear way to say that, if that is the point that the gospel is trying to make. The Greek language used no punctuation and it had no typefaces, no bold, no italics. So the only way to emphasize a point if you were writing in Greek was to repeat a word or words. So the gospel writer could have said something like, he believed, he believed, for as yet they did not. Or he could have said, he believed, For as yet they did not, they did not. He could have said something like that. But that's not how John says it. The way this gospel writer tells this story is very confusing to me. And you won't be surprised to know that I love that. How else could you talk about resurrection? If John had just said, they went to the tomb and they found it empty and everyone knew that Jesus had been resurrected and they all believed and they went back and they told everyone else and they all believed and they all lived happily ever after. Well, you would know there was something up with that kind of story, wouldn't you? If the resurrection of Jesus was that obvious on its face, that much a physical miracle, how could you have stood before it and doubted? How? But the gospel tells us over and over that in resurrection appearances, many doubted. Even the disciples standing toe-to-toe with Jesus doubted. Those who had been with him from the beginning, who knew him best and loved him most, they saw and did not believe. We're talking resurrection, folks. This is not what happened to Lazarus. Lazarus died again. We're talking resurrection. Life-changing, world-altering, cosmic mystery-evoking 
life to death to some holy other kind of life altogether, resurrection. Wouldn't the only honest and fair and real way to tell somebody about something like that, wouldn't the only way to tell that be to leave in all the understandable tension, belief and not belief, celebration and confusion? And at the end of the day, when someone dies in our lives and leaves our world upended, almost ending our world with them, we realize everything has changed, and yet we just go back home too, right? He believed, for as yet they did not understand that he must rise from the dead, so they went back home. He believed, though they didn't understand, they just went home. For just a moment, fast forward with me from the first Easter Sunday morning to 1973. Watergate hearings were uh, were taking up every moment of airtime on all those black and white TVs we used to watch back in the early 70s. Howard Baker was the ranking minority member of the Senate Watergate Committee charged to investigate the scandal that had President Richard Nixon at the center. In one of the trial proceedings, Baker famously asked in what may have become his lasting legacy, what did the president know and when did he know it? The questions I want to ask today are, what did the beloved disciple know and when did they know it? What did he know and when did they know it? This Easter season, we are trying to walk with a community of believers, as a community, trying to walk with a community of believers that apparently grew up around the person and the teaching of that beloved disciple. After he moved to Ephesus, modern-day Turkey, he moved there to live out his life in the shape of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're calling our theme for these next 50 days Easter. What a community believes. There are some things a community can believe even if I cannot believe them alone. Some things we can believe even if you have to doubt them all by yourself. There are things we can believe and live together that may not make much difference if I was just trying to live those beliefs as an individual. There is a power to the belief of the community of faith. Many years ago, when Dr. Carlisle Marney was the pastor of Myers Park Baptist Church, he had been invited to preach at the First Baptist Church of Greenville, South Carolina. Following that service, Dr. David Matthews, the host pastor, was driving Marnie back to his hotel. And in characteristic humor and sarcasm, Dr. Matthews said, If I didn't know any better, Marnie, after hearing that sermon, I'd think you actually believed in the resurrection. And Marnie said, What you believe depends in large measure on the company you keep. What you believe depends on the company you keep. This Easter text is confusing. 
I don't know what that means. I don't know what the beloved disciple believed when he stepped into an empty tomb on an Easter Sunday morning. Taking the story and this text as seriously as I know how to take it, I don't know what that means, what he believed, what he could have believed. But what I know is that this beloved disciple had been changed by Jesus. And he gathered around him a community of believers who had also been changed. And they lived together. And they shared their experiences with one another. And they collected stories that they had heard about Jesus, how he had changed other people, tales that were being passed along from one community to another. They practiced their faith in community. And years later, many years later, maybe 70 years after the death of Jesus, one editor sat down with all those collected stories of that community. And when a creative writer put pen to paper, masterfully weaving together these stories into a gospel-shaped narrative, that story culminated in the experience of Easter morning. Rebirth, new life, resurrection. It is not clear to me what he believed, but it is without doubt what they believed. Christ is risen indeed. And that belief, the belief of one Christian community changed the world. Our belief could also. May it be so. Amen.